I'd like to introduce our panel today. We're joined by Tony Reeves, Chief Executive of Liverpool City Council, Christopher Mertlitz, Head of European Investments at WP Carey, and James Shepherd, Managing Director, UK and Ireland of Cadans. And you will notice that we are one panellist down. I think it is a bit of a theme throughout this year's MIPM. You might see it a lot. COVID has hit, unfortunately. Um, she'll be sorely missed on this panel, um, but we will, we will carry on regardless, of course. So thank you to all of you for joining me today. So we're here to talk about the life sciences sector. I mentioned progress just a minute ago. And when we're thinking about progress, what could be more sort of a definition of progress than, than life sciences? So um, I want to start with each of you, just a, sort of a bit of an overview as to where you feel that we are in terms of life sciences in, within the UK and how we've seen the growth in that sector push forward over the last three years. So Tony, let's start with you. I think we're seeing absolutely extraordinary growth in, um, in life sciences, um, I think right, right across the UK, but particular concentrations um, in, obviously in the Oxford-Cambridge corridor, um, in the west of Scotland, and certainly in the northwest of England. And there's other places as well have got really significant roles to play. Um, in our case, in Liverpool, we've got an emerging knowledge quarters, an innovation district, which has grown significantly over the last five years. Huge scope for, for further growth. Our particular uh, expertise as a city is in infectious disease control. We have the biggest and oldest school of tropical medicine, but a, but a significant number of other assets, uh, which have been really significant in, in the role that we've played responding to COVID. And we've recently launched a pandemic institute in the city with corporate funding from, from the US and other parts of the world as well. So um, increasingly becoming international. I think the other thing that is key is the collaboration between other parts of the UK. It's growing all the time. The universities obviously play a key role in that. But I think international collaboration is going to be increasingly important as well to continue growing the sector. Thank you very much. And Christopher, same, same question to you. Sure, thank you. So. Life sciences, from a real estate perspective, is, is obviously incredibly in demand. It's a very hot topic. And I would almost put it on par with what's, what we're seeing in the, the logistics space. is a lot more capital and a lot more um, interest in the space than certainly a few years ago. And a lot of money chasing quite few deals. I think from a UK perspective, um, I know everyone's now thinking about Ukraine, and maybe last year we were thinking about uh, about COVID, but two, three years before that, there was this other thing called Brexit. I'm not sure if anyone still remembers, which probably dented a little bit kind of the global capital flow going in the UK from a life science angle um, as an international investor, because um, this particular space uh, really lives and breathes with collaboration uh, internationally. and if you pull out of certain partnership programs and so on and so forth, it's overall, it's, it's not helping. It, it really isn't. Um, but I'd say, from, at least from my angle uh, at WP Carey, uh, we are a globally active REIT investing in mission-critical real estate. And so that's certainly something that's attracting me to, to life sciences as an investment class, as an asset class, um, because it is certainly something where it's relatively straightforward to understand why such a building might be mission critical or important. So I think there's a lot of happening in the space, in the UK, in the world. Um, we, we've made great strides. And for us as an investor, um, it, it's a really, really exciting uh, time to be looking more and more at life science opportunities. We are, in fact, developing uh, life science assets right now, not actually in the UK, but one in, in the Netherlands, uh, uh, on the university campus of uh, University of Wageningen, for instance. 
Uh, we've invested in several other life sciences buildings uh, uh, throughout the world in, in recent years. And it's a space we really, really like, like very much driven by this mission criticality angle. Um, so yeah, we've come a long way. I think there's, uh, there's still a lot to go and um, going from strength to strength. Thank you very much. And James, same question to you. Do you agree, mission critical, strength to strength? I agree. I think the thing that I would add is that this is not new in the UK. Um, this is something that's been around for the last decade, 15, 20 years. You know, the, the NHS has been at the pinnacle of global clinical trials for the last 50 years. This is not, it, it's very easy to say this is a new sector in the UK, but it isn't. We've been doing this and we've been at the very, very top level for as long as anybody can remember. What's changed is how it's perceived and the demonstration of impact from universities. The top of the funnel in the UK, as, uh, as Tony mentioned, is, is incredible. You know, we have some of the best academics in the world who do some of the best science in the world, but they've never been able to kind of demonstrate the impact of the work that they do. It's too easy for them to license their products out, for example, and, and off we go and, and take royalties. But now you have people like the Wellcome Trust, you have other big grant funders who are demanding impact. A very easy, tangible way to demonstrate impact is the creation of a company. And as such, you're starting to see universities seeing this as a way to bring in, bring forward more and more impact. Universities only generate 3% of their revenue from spin-outs. It's nothing. It's negligible. So they're not doing it for the capital. They're doing it because it shows that they're the best place to create these businesses. And this is a trend that we've seen over the last decade. And then if you marry that with, uh, as Christopher was saying, the increase in capital, both on the venture capital but private equity, uh, our capital markets in the UK are... are are less good at the moment, but certainly improving. You're seeing a volume of money flowing into these businesses that are spinning out from universities that we haven't seen before. I think in 2021, the UK did four and a half billion pounds of venture capital funding. All of this starts to breed bigger and bigger businesses with bigger and bigger ambitions. And now what you're seeing is a very, dare I say, American style model in, in our UK businesses where they'll raise 20, 30, 40, 50 million as a series A. And you can imagine what that means from a real estate perspective. Instead of taking 500 square feet, they're taking 50,000 square feet. So all of this is starting to permeate through and mean that actually the quality and the quantity of science that we're seeing in the UK is increasing exponentially, both on the academic and the commercial side. So it's always important, I think, to realise that the UK has been at the top of this tree for a long, long time. We're now just playing a slightly different game than we were. Thank you very much. Um, Tony, I wanted to come back to you on um, some of the investment side of, of things. And Christopher and James have, have mentioned that. Um, there's obviously sort of a bit, it feels like a bit of a push-pull where, where you've got sort of increased investment in some ways, but then because of potentially Brexit, then there's, I mean, have you noticed that as well, post-Brexit, sort of a slight slowdown in investment, or are you, st are you seeing it sort of increasing? I think because of the, the pandemic as well, it's hard to say whether it is, it is um, as a result of Brexit that we've had a, a slowdown, which is now definitely starting to pick up rapidly. Um, I think what's happened, particularly in terms of university research funding, etc., um, there's been a lot of change because a lot of funding came from Europe. Um, there were a lot of collaborations with European universities. And I th but I think there's new collaborations starting to emerge. Um, it, it, I don't think we need permission as cities to, to work with, with our European counterparts, and it's great that we do that. The UK government role is probably a little bit different as a result of that, but what we're seeing is a lot of collaboration with North American universities, 
and places and some of the work that we did around the pandemic and, and will do going forwards, for example, um, Liverpool has the Liverpool University has the world's biggest animal health database. Um, that's significant because um, at least 70%, but potentially 100% of pandemics actually start in the animal population and transfer to humans, as happened with COVID-19. And with the AI capability that we've developed um, now, the if we'd had that capability four years ago, they could have predicted with more than 99% certainty that the next pandemic would have been a coronavirus. And WHO, etc., were all talking about Ebola and things like that as the, as the real threat. So that predictive capability is becoming globally significant. And it's actually, this is where Liverpool, playing to its strengths, starts to build those collaborations with, with industry, with, um, with the investment markets, but also with universities in other parts of the world. Uh, and I think the, what Brexit has meant is that we, ha we have to be more innovative about the sort of relationships that we build uh, to, to, in order to play to our strengths. But the key is making sure we do what we're good at um, and, and there's no doubt at all there's, there's significant growth potential there. And uh, the collaboration between Liverpool and Manchester is also working really well. And you actually look at the, the strengths in health and life sciences between the two cities and the corridor in between, and it, it's globally significant and growing really significantly. So now, Brexit ha has definitely caused things to be different, um, but I think it's got us on the front foot and starting to think much more in a much more agile way. And I don't think there's any barriers to the growth that we can achieve going forwards. And it's really, really exciting times. Thank you very much. Um, and Christopher, you, you were mentioning um, how important that collaboration is, international collaboration. Are you, in your opinion, are you seeing enough of that? Would you like to see more of that? Um, I'm just interested in, in your viewpoint on that. Sure. Um, I think, uh, first of all, I agree with your point that a lot of the um, effects of, of, of Brexit were basically skewed by the pandemic because we went through a period that was just, just complete like anything else we've ever seen. Um, obviously, international collaboration is very important. There's, there's, there's no, no way around that. Um, but I think the angle that I find more interesting in a way is how few life sciences businesses and, and, and realize in many ways that they're in the real estate business in terms of providing space that provides the ability for, for all the science, for all the research, for all of that going on, and the amount of capital that flows into that real estate. These are very, very specialized facilities. They're very expensive to build. And I think this is potentially where investors like us can come in and provide that capital for the development of these facilities. So I think that's an interesting angle. It's, it's, there is a lot of growth in the space, but I think that can be accelerated by having stronger collaboration, not internationally from a science perspective, but also with the real estate community to provide the space that is needed for the science to begin with. So I think that's an interesting angle that maybe is a bit overlooked sometimes. And you, you mentioned earlier that you, you'd, put, you'd put life sciences kind of on a par or nearly on a par with logistics. Is that something that you, is that an opinion that you think is, is fully appreciated by, by the sector and by the real estate sector as well? Do you think there's enough of an understanding as to how big this, this is? I mean, it, when I say it's on par, I mean more like from, from, from our perspective, what we look for is assets that are really, really essential to the operations of our tenants. And with the logistics building, that is relatively easy to understand. If you've got a main central distribution hub that supplies 80% of a company's stores, it's quite easy to understand why that is an important building. Uh, but likewise, with a life sciences facility, the amount of scientists working in there, the collaboration often with universities, with, with the cities, 
these things are, are ecosystems that are very difficult to move. They are very, very sticky. They are very, very important, not only for the people working in, the, in those respective facilities, but often for a country or region at large. So that, that's the sort of stuff that I mean with it's, it's mission critical, it's important in a way when we look at an asset we look at all kinds of assets. We really focus on what is important for our tenants, where would they want to stay for the long run. And, and that's, that's what I kind of meant with sort of logistics. It's relatively straightforward to understand why such a facility is important, and that's the sort of assets we want to own. Thank you very much. Um, and James, you know, we've been talking um, a lot around collaboration, and is that something that you would like to see more of as well? Do you feel like there is enough of that going on at the moment? And if not, how can that be sort of brought to the fore? Yeah, so I think there's two words that get used a lot in life sciences, collaboration and ecosystem. E ecosystem is a very difficult word to define. It's one you get in a lot of marketing materials and nine times out of ten doesn't really mean anything. So just if I kind of break down what we mean by ecosystem, so there are kind of four constituent parts, we believe, that are key to any of these functioning spaces. So the first one is people. Um, and people is a word that gets misused in life sciences. And people is often misused as the word graduates. Graduates are brilliant. We've already spoken about our world-class universities up and down the UK. What's really difficult in the UK, and actually across continental Europe, is sort of senior executive talent. And that is in part due to the maturity of the market. We haven't seen the number of exits of our companies to recycle that talent back into the pool. So some of that is just maturity. The second part is around funding. You know, we've spoken a lot about the kind of ups and downs of the funding market, and that, that's still very apparent. You know, VC funding is up, but public markets funding is down in the UK, and it, it's, it's kind of very much an up and down segment. But what you see is a lot, lot more grant funding coming back now post-Brexit and, and, and post-pandemic. The third point, which, which Christopher rightly points out, is around space. This is not an office building that you can just put some labs in. These are highly technical bits of real estate. And that gets even more detailed when you're talking about GMP manufacturing, for example. That's not something that you're going to be building in the centre of Liverpool, for example. It's big, huge, almost logistics-like buildings. And the final one is around professional services. So these businesses never exist in isolation. They need the support of a whole host of different professional services. So if you then kind of create those four parts, it becomes quite easy to assess whether a, a city is a good, bad, or growing ecosystem. And it gives you a kind of framework to understand that. I think, back to Emily, your question around collaboration, it's definitely something we want to see, see more of. And we are increasingly seeing our tenants in our buildings across Europe and the UK asking who's doing what in Munich, or who's doing what in, in Madrid, or various other places. As now they see the fact that, to, to both Christopher and Tony's point, this is not something that exists on a national or a city basis. This is something that has global impact. And as such, they are reassessing their uh, outward-looking vision, if you like, and looking for opportunities now that exist across continental Europe, across the US, and, and increasingly Asia as well. So we definitely need to see more and more of that collaboration at multiple levels, not just you know CEO talking to CEO. It needs to be at the every level through the business. Collaboration is only going to lead to, to kind of more positive results for, for the UK. And the other thing that I just wanted to touch on there is the point around life sciences um, not necessarily appreciating that it's real estate, which is a point that, that Christopher made. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that are as well. Yeah, and again, it's, it, you see a huge variety in the market. 
we have some tenants who will just turn up with an equipment list and say, build me that. Go, well, what does that mean? Um, so we, we have an in-house technical team who can translate that very simplistic, we've got these 10 bits of equipment, what does that mean in terms of a lab? We have a team that will just, just do that and run all the designs. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have your kind of slightly more growing or, or grown businesses that have very, very specific finite ways of, of looking at their real estate. So I, I completely agree with Christopher that actually you should be seeing, or scientists should be seeing the real estate as a key part of their business, not something that's just there to come to work at you know, nine to five and then, then go home. They can't do their job without the real estate. And nine times out of 10, it's what's above the ceiling. And you know, most scientists don't really even notice that. They just assume that it works. And I mean, I'm generalizing, of course, but we definitely need to see more education. And, and I'd say this actually, not just from the scientific community, but actually from, from everybody in this room and everybody beyond more knowledge around the kind of technical aspects and this goes for all the professional services and, and everything else if you look at the us a very mature market the level of knowledge amongst their kind of professional service teams whether that's the brokers or the engineers is just a completely different level to where we are in europe and we'll get there it will just take time but we just need that kind of broad level of knowledge across the board Thank you very much. And Tony, when it comes to talking about uh, life sciences in the UK and in UK cities, obviously you are primed to comment on that. So could you give us a little bit more detail about Liverpool and the Knowledge Quarter and, and everything that's happening there? May, maybe draw on some of the, the points that we've touched on and, and the, the, the experiences that you're, that you're seeing in terms of life sciences equating to real estate and, and that, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, we, we have a, a joint venture um, called Scientech, which was Liverpool Science Parks between the council and the two universities. Um, two years ago, we went out to the market bringing an equity partner, and we, through a competition, we appointed Bruntwood SciTech, which is a collaboration with Bruntwood and Legal in General, as our equity partner. And the, the investment potential now is huge in the, in the knowledge quarter itself. But, but actually, and picking up James's point, that certain types of life sciences development are not right for city centres. Um, we work as part of a, um, a wider city region, and that's the great thing, having the core city at its heart, but the opportunity to work um, in, in places like the Wirral, um, St. Helens, um, Runcorn, etc., and actually running into the, the, the life sciences sector in, in Cheshire, that sort of corridor, and, and onto Manchester, means we can take we, we, we can meet requirements in a whole host of different ways. So we don't just look at the city centre, the knowledge quarter itself. In the knowledge quarter itself, though, there is potential for about 3 million square feet of development over the next 10 to 20 years. Um, there's um, major land ownership between the council and the universities. Um, a, we, we, we're master planning, we're updating the master plan for the whole area. We will be prepared to assemble um, the sites that we need to take the sector forward. Um, the key thing is getting occupiers. Uh, that's, the, the demand is growing all the time. Meeting demand for lab space is really, really challenging at the moment. I know that's the case in other cities. Um, that's, that's, that's a great problem to have, but it's something we absolutely need to respond to to, to keep moving. But with the, the, the two, universe, two universities, the School of Tropical Medicine, um, significant, we're concentrating all the, the health assets in the city into the knowledge quarter as well, the new Royal Hospital, the new Clatterbridge Cancer Hospital, um, and of course, that triple helix between academia, public sector, 
and commercial is absolutely the right, um, the right environment to continue that growth. Um, I think it's really, really important that we don't just look at the city centre itself. We do think about the wider area, the supply chains, and how we can actually meet requirements across the whole city region. And increasingly, um, we're seeing that collaboration taking place. Thank you very much. And then another question to you um, around the role of the NHS in all of this, the, the role of the NHS in supporting innovation. Um, what have you seen there and what do you expect to see going forward? Um, well, if, you, if, you, if you look at the work that we did um, on COVID, uh, the, the, I, mean, the, I, I, could, I, I could talk for half a day about all the different aspects of the roles that Liverpool played. Can you make it maybe two, two three minutes? I will, I will <laughs> do just that. But some very specific things. Um, we piloted mass testing. For, for the world, uh, for the Western world. Um, we had bricks thrown at us by academics from all over the place saying this is bad science, it's unproven, etc. Well, you needed to carry out the science during the pandemic to, to, prove, to prove the case. And the evidence suggests we saved hundreds of lives in, uh, in Liverpool and the wider area as a result of the work that we did, which is worth it in its own right. But um, that in itself was, was really, really significant. Um, the NHS was absolutely central to that. Um, a lot of the testing around infectious disease control, um, control wards, there's a specialist ward, one of only two in the country, where particular types of disease, if they occur with people coming from overseas in the UK, they go on to those wards where they're, they're working under pressure, except the collaboration between the NHS and the universities is absolutely brilliant. But now the co-location of all of those assets makes that collaboration much easier. Of course, you can do it academically, you can do it um, digitally, but actually the concentration of people in a place, I think, drives even more innovation. I think there's lots of ev evidence to suggest that. So some of it's spa spatial, some of it is because of the expertise that we've got in the NHS as well as in, in academia, but actually creating that concentration in one place is the thing that's really exciting and driving the growth going forwards. Thank you very much. Um, and James, same question to you on, on the NHS and innovation. Yeah, so, so I previously made a comment on a panel about the NHS that ruffled a few feathers. And it Could was, you make it again? Yes, we, definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Because I, I this is a hill I'll definitely die on. Um, so the NHS is sat on a huge volume of land across the country, up and down. That is exactly the sort of land that myself, Christopher, want to get hold of and build innovation-focused buildings. We have been trying to unlock projects in, with a particular NHS trust, which will go unnamed for four years now, and we've made that much progress. Yet I've got tenants who will quite happily bite my hand off. So I think the role of the NHS needs to be a little bit more commercially savvy. And I'm, and the, I'm aware there are other political and economic challenges, right? So this is a maybe oversimplification, but by unlocking those bits of land, we can actually build and create these communities on these NHS hospital campuses, which is where a tremendous number of these people want to be based, in close proximity to clinicians and, as, as Tony was saying, this kind of triple helix we talk about in life sciences. So if we can find a way to unlock that, I think the NHS role in innovation becomes very clear very quickly. But furthermore, you know, they're actually really good now at providing access to their data. They're incredibly good at providing access to, to patients, to clinical trials, and this is where big cities with diverse populations are really attractive to global farmers because there is a tremendous number of opportunities there to, to run different types of trials at different stages. So the, the NHS is, is doing a lot of things really, really well, but there are a few things which we could definitely improve on to make sure that actually 
the, these innovative businesses and, and academics, in fact, who want to be in close proximity to clinicians can be based there and are not having to be based a long way away and then having to ultimately commute or, worst case still, they don't want to be based there at all and get on a plane to Boston. I mean, I mean maybe this is a difficult question to, to answer, but how, how can progress be made on that front? So I'd say they are, are trying, and you know it's tempting to look at the NHS as one organisation, but it, it's not. It's hundreds of different smaller organisations dotted around the country, be that trusts or property services. So I think finding those the right people at the right times, and there are brilliant people in the NHS who want to make this change, and you know we've had a lot of really positive dialogues. I think it's just a question of the, the private sector continuing to kind of hammer down the door and with, with our colleagues in the public sector to keep pushing on multiple different angles because it, it will come. And, you know, we, we're quite happy to pay for the land. It's not a question of us taking it for free. And we're quite happy to provide a whole host of support to a variety of different spin-outs from the NHS. So I think it's, you know, it, it go, it's onus on the public and private sector and the private sector to demonstrate why this is important and why this is something that is potentially hindering growth in the UK. Thank you, Christopher. You were nodding along quite a lot there. Would you agree with what James said? Well, I, would, I would certainly agree with the fact that it's difficult to get hold of land. That's, uh, that, that's, that's very much an issue in, in the UK and, and, and certainly other parts of Europe as well. But UK is, is certainly well known for that. And, and it's tricky to, uh, to secure any kind of land plots for development. That's uh, couldn't agree more. Um, and just while, while we're talking about that, that's obviously a hurdle. Um, we've talked a bit about Brexit. Christopher, are there, are there any other hurdles that you can see at the moment that really need to be addressed when it comes to accessing life sciences, whether that be land or um, finance? Mm, well, I, I'd say the awareness that someone like we basically exist in the sense that we're more than happy to finance these developments. And um, I think that's what I mentioned earlier when I talked about uh, a lot of life sciences companies being really more in the real estate space, that they know that someone like us is actually here who is happy to buy the land, fund the development of life sciences facilities and and do that. So um, I think that is that is maybe one, one small roadblock, but um, yeah. Thank you very much. So we have about four and a half minutes left. Not about, that's very exact. We have four and a half minutes left. Um, are there any questions from the audience? Oh, there's someone saying that yes, there are. Or is someone saying a microphone's coming? I think it's a microphone rather than a question. But that will be helpful if there are any questions. Does anyone have any questions? <laughs> it's all right. Traditionally, there aren't any questions, particularly before sort of 10.30 in the morning. True to form. OK, lovely. So that's, a, that's all right, because I have some backup questions. If anyone changes their mind, just stick your hand up. Um, so I think it would be quite good if we could go along the panel again. We've got, now we've got sort of just four minutes left and sort of end on a positive note and sort of look at what can be done and what should be done to really scale up where we've got to with life sciences already. Um, and in, in sort of, actually, James, you were saying it's, it's, this isn't a new thing, but visibility perhaps has been a really good thing for the sector. How can we move forward and what can be done to, to build on where we are now? And we'll start with you, Tony. Okay, and, and perhaps I can address the issue about the, pro the problem working with the NHS. Um, if, you, if, if the S NHS in a place is operating in isolation, uh, it's really hard to get to the decision makers to make things happen. In, in Liverpool, um, our NHS uh, institutions are part of the city, and we have a city plan that they own, as does the council, as do private sector partners, universities, etc. And in that, we're really clear 
about how we achieve the long-term goals for the city, including improved health outcomes, tackling health inequality, and the role that health plays in building a really productive economy for the, uh, for the city and all the benefits that flow from that. And so, faced with the sorts of problems that um, colleagues here have talked about, we actually bring the decision makers together uh, and look at these problems holistically um, and find out what the NHS's challenges and problems are and try to solve those to unlock the ability to then work differently. And that, I think that whole place working is what place leadership is all about. And in, in, in the cities that are really progressive, I think that is much easier to do. And I would absolutely put Liverpool at the heart of that. I'm not saying we're the only place. We're all, all, always willing to, to learn from others. But our ability to, pro, to, to problem solve by the different sectors coming together I think is, is growing all the time and I think that's going to be really, really important to build investor confidence going forward as well. Thank you very much. Christopher, same question to you. How can we push on forward? From an investor perspective and from, from our angle as a long-term investor, we, we, we very much like the life sciences space. So it's, I don't think it's, an, it's a lack of dem, uh, capital to, to invest in life science opportunities. And it, it's evident from those few that are in the... Uh, sporadically in the UK market, what kind of prices they attract and what kind of uh, conditions they you, you see actually that them trading on. So um, I, I think it's not really a lack of d uh, demand from the investor community. Um, I think we just need more life sciences businesses to realize that you know that the money is there and that they should go out and, and grow. Excellent. Thank you very much. And finally, James, same question to you. So I'll just build off what, what Christopher says really. It's about ambition and it's about companies being more ambitious, it's about real estate being more ambitious, it's about the public sector being more ambitious, and it's a very easy thing to say, but actually it's infectious. And it, it, once you start seeing these companies grow and you see your peers doing fantastic things, be that in the public or private sector, you get a little bit of jealousy, right? And you want to do it yourself and you want to keep going. And you're starting to see that, and you're starting to see companies raising big funding rounds and off the back of that you know their peers are doing the same and this ambition and desire to grow is completely infectious maybe it's a bad term to use on a life I was going to say it was pun intended um, there <laughs> but hopefully hopefully you know what i mean and it is coming it is coming we're on the precipice of something pretty special in the uk and led by places like liverpool and other places across the country you know we are definitely on the cusp of doing something pretty exciting Thank you very much. It's not the main thing. But this might be my personal best in terms of finishing on time. Seven seconds to go. So can I please ask you all to join me in thanking our brilliant panellists this morning. Thank you very much. <laughs>